Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to the second chapter of Malachi. Our text today will be Malachi chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this thing, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, God, for your truth is the very thing that will make us free. Father, I ask today that by your Holy Spirit dwelling in your people, that you would illuminate your word, that you would use it to mold us and shape us, to renew our minds, that our minds would be more closely conformed to the mind of Christ that you have so gracefully given to us, that we would be a people whose witness would be bright and loud and clear in this world in desperate need of the hope found only in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Malachi, in our text today, begins with the declaration of the fatherhood of our God. Have we not all one father, he asks the question. Among those today trying to reshape the culture, fatherhood, patriarchy has become a symbol of an oppressive God and his oppressive created order. Nothing could be further from the truth about our father. It is our father who has brought us into his love and saved us and made us one With his son. As God's children, we all have one father. He is the God who created us and chose us in him before the foundation of the world. All human beings bear the image of God in creation, but not all human beings bear the name of God as his children. To be a child of God is to be the recipient of his saving grace in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Seeing that we are God's children by his grace, we are to be seen or we are to be seeing one another as brothers and sisters in the spirit. As the children of God, the command of God is to love one another. That means we do not deal treacherously with one another. In this case, the children of God were dealing treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers. 
the covenant of the fathers they were profaning referred to the covenant God made with Israel as recorded by Moses in the book of the law. Just a, three scripture references concerning the covenant of the fathers that Malachi is referencing here. Exodus 19 verse 5. Now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them, You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. What the Lord called treachery by the people against one another was the profaning of the covenant of the fathers. Before we talk about how they were specifically profaning the covenant, we must realize that there are many ways in which we profane the covenant with our God. It is through our sinful rebellion and disobedience, whatever form it takes, that profanes the covenant. Yet the loving grace of the Father, hear me church, the loving grace of the Father is ever sufficient to guard us and keep us and correct us in his love whenever and however we stray. However we find ourselves profaning the covenant, we must realize there are no victimless sins. First, we must acknowledge that all sin is against God, no matter who or what our sin involves. We must first go to the Lord in our godly sorrow and repentance to receive his healing balm of grace and peace poured out to us in Jesus Christ. An example of this is found in Psalm 51, a psalm of David, which was written in response to his sin with Bathsheba. And in that psalm, David cries out to the Lord and makes this declaration of how he had sinned against God. Our sin is not only against God, but it is sin against ourself. And depending on our actions, it is sin against our brothers and sisters. Some sins are more obvious and direct in how they impact others. But because we are children who are all joined together by one father, our treachery impacts the whole body. And the remedy of our treachery can only be found in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As members of God's family, or more specifically, as members of the body of Christ, we are each one part of the whole body. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes our function and our interaction together as children of God, as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
When we give ourselves over to sin and profane the covenant of our God, we are taking from the very body to which we are joined in life. When we sin, we are taking from God. We are taking from ourselves, and we are taking from one another instead of supplying what each member needs. The answer to disobedience is our obedience. Paul wrote these words, and I quote, being ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Through our obedience, we not only punish all disobedience, but we are effectively working and sharing and causing growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. And when we act treacherously, as Malachi describes it, we are not building up one another in love, but tearing down one another in sin. Judah was dealing treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers. Specifically, they were taking foreign wives from among the other nations who served other gods. This was a lack of faith in God. In the covenant God made with his people, they were to remain separate from the other peoples, the other nations, to preserve their reliance upon God and their witness in worship of him. God had commanded that his children not intermarry with other nations. And the reason for this was that God knew his people would adopt the sinful practices and the false gods of those nations to which they would join themselves. These illegal marriages profaned the covenant of the fathers and would ultimately bring God's promised judgment upon the whole nation. The sin of each person disobeying the covenant commandments of God would impact the whole nation. This was the treachery that God's people were committing against one another. It is the same sin we see today in the church. And our sins individually and personally have an impact upon the whole of the body of Christ, whether we see it or feel it or know it or not. This is why we must go to the Lord and ask for his grace that he would grant to us repentance so that we would be a people who could punish all disobedience with our obedience. In verse 11 here in chapter 2 of Malachi, the prophet writes, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. God emphasizes again the treachery of the people of Judah. He uses an even stronger word in declaring that an abomination has been committed. The practices of the nations that surrounded Israel were described as abominable by God. And God's people who join in those abominations as they join themselves to those people of the land were participating in those abominations. And this was forbidden by God, for it profaned the covenant. God declares that Judah has dealt treacherously and committed an abomination in Israel and in Jerusalem. 
thus defiling the entire nation. They did this in that they profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. This is what Malachi writes. This is what God is declaring through the prophet. What the people are said to profane here in Malachi 2 verse 11 is literally the Lord's holy, which he loves. The New King James translates it, inserting the word institution, so that it reads, they profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. The King James reads this way, they profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved. The NASB, the ESV, and other translations translate it like this. They profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. All of these translations are correct. And all of them are conveying the same truth. And the truth is, sin violates the holy and the holiness of the Lord. The holiness, the very holy thing the Lord loves. It violates the sanctuary or the holy place of the Lord. And you might ask, well, where is the holy place of the Lord? And the answer is wherever the Lord is. The place of the Lord's presence is the holy place of the Lord. You have been made the Lord's holy place. You are God's holy place in Christ Jesus. Whatever the Lord touches becomes the holy of the Lord. When the unholy comes in contact with the holy one, the unholy is made holy. The unholy does not make the holy unholy. The holy makes the unholy holy. The woman with the issue of blood did not make Jesus unclean, as the legalists would argue, but rather Jesus made clean the unclean. The woman was not only made whole, but she was made holy by her encounter with the Holy One. This was true for her in the very same way it is true for us. Now in Christ, by faith, the holiness of Christ cleansed her. By faith, the holiness of Christ cleanses us and makes our uncleanliness clean. It makes our unholiness holy. Praise be to God. So what is the holy or the sanctuary he loves that Judah profane? And the answer is, it is God's people. God's people are the holy thing. The sanctuary or holy place the Lord loves is the people of God represented in the name Israel, represented in the city of Jerusalem, represented in the very temple itself. The picture of the nation, of the city, and of the sanctuary is a representative picture of God's people. It is a shadow of the substance that is now here in the church. This is made even more clear in the New Testament. Paul writes in his letter to the believers at Corinth that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Peter calls us living stones being built up, a spiritual house, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And John is shown the bride of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem, called the Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, Revelation 21, verse 2 and verse 10. 
What is the holy thing? What is the holy place, the sanctuary that the Lord loves? It is his people. It is you and it is me and all who are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. The point being the holy thing the Lord loves is his people. He has called us holy and now we are the very place in which he dwells by his spirit. God, through the prophet, declared that the people, unhindered by the priest, had married the daughters of a foreign god, thus committing an abomination against the Lord himself. This sin is also recorded by Ezra, the scribe and the priest of God, who returned from Babylon to Jerusalem after the temple had been rebuilt. And upon his return, he finds that the people had married the daughters of a foreign god. Ezra chapter 9, verse 2. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. This violation of marriage was an abomination to God that had the result of polluting the whole nation in its worship of God the result of which would be devastating personally and corporately if left uncorrected. Repentance was necessary to avert the promised consequence of God's divine judgment. In Malachi's day, the violation of the law concerning marriage was called an abomination. The marriage between God's children and the pagan people of the land was illegal in God's eyes. It profaned the Lord's people, who he loved, it does the very same thing today. Many were, but not everyone was marrying pagan wives. It was that the leaders and rulers were foremost in this trespass, meaning they not only did not stop it, but they approved it. They profaned the institution of marriage, which is the most graphic earthly picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride. It is an institution that God holds holy or set apart for his purpose because it gives witness to the holy son of God and his holy bride, the church. It has never been more true than today that marriage is the God-created and God-ordained institution that gives witness to Christ and his church. Paul lays this out in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul quotes from the book of Genesis. And he shows us that in the very beginning of creation, God ordained, God created the institution we call marriage. It is not an institution created by man. It is an institution created by God for man. Paul's whole discourse in Ephesians chapter 5 about wives submitting to their husbands as unto the Lord and husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church is ultimately about Christ and about his bride, the church. 
Paul is teaching these believers, mostly Gentiles, about the institution of marriage that was ordained by God at creation for the purpose of giving witness to the bridegroom who would come one day for his bride. The one who would come to slay the dragon to get the girl, remember? Christ is that bridegroom and we are that bride. This is also why Paul admonishes the Corinthian believers to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14 In that verse, Paul goes on to ask, What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? And what communion does light have with darkness? And the answer to this rhetorical question is none at all. Unrighteousness is to have no fellowship with righteousness. Light is to have no fellowship with darkness. We live in the world, but we are not of this world. Today, as in Malachi's day, we are seeing an all-out assault upon marriage. Marriage is not a civil institution, no matter what the Supreme Court or any other court may say. Marriage is a spiritual institution created and ordained by God himself. Man has no right to redefine it or to remake it into an instrument for sin. But that is exactly what our culture has done. And unfortunately, the church has not only stood by passively and allowed it, in many cases, they have put their stamp of approval upon it. That assault on marriage began long before homosexual and transgender marriages were declared legal by man, even though they are still declared illegal by God. The rise of feminism and the attack on patriarchy and changing divorce laws over the last century has brought us to the place we are today, but not without the hands of our foremost leaders and rulers in the church. Just as in Malachi's day, the leaders of the church in our day are guilty of sins of commission and sins of omission. There are both, according to the Bible. Many pastors and churches have committed sin in helping lead and lead the charge and change the laws in profaning the covenant of marriage. Many pastors and churches are guilty of sins of omission in choosing to remain silent, thinking their silence will not offend anyone, I promise you, it offends God. We had an example just last week of a very well-respected teacher who gave advice to a grandmother about attending the transgender wedding of her grandson with gift in hand. His advice was to go to the wedding as long as the grandson knew the grandmother disapproved of his lifestyle and the marriage as sinful. The purpose in going, according to this teacher, Alistair Begg, was to show love without judgment in the hope that her loving gesture would send a message that not all Christians are simply condemning and judgmental. It has created no small controversy, as you can imagine as this man has been a very solid and popular Bible teacher. I, in fact, have enjoyed and profited from listening to the teachings of Alistair Begg. I still count him my brother in the Lord, and I still count him a great teacher. 
But I believe he made a mistake, as any of us can. Don't assume you or I cannot make a mistake. You are charged to use biblical discernment when listening to any man, any man of God, teach God's word. God and his word, not man, no matter how gifted or popular, is our final authority. That poor grandmother should have been able to go to the Bible and not have to ask the advice of a man of God. God has given his truth in his word. It's clearly there. She didn't need to ask advice of a pastor. She could have gone directly to the word of God and known what she was to do. You are to go directly to the word of God to gain the wisdom of what you are to do. That's not to say you don't ask advice or wisdom from other men, from other believers. But make sure that when you get that advice from other men, from other believers, even pastors, that you measure that against the word of God. Because all men, all men are fallible, but God is not. Marriage is something God takes very seriously. We have no right as believers or unbelievers to put our stamp of approval on what God calls sinful and unlawful in his word. The witness we must give as the church individually and corporately must be consistent with God and his word. Even if we would never call a union between two men or two women or a transgender man or woman holy, our participation while silently disapproving is not an expression of love but a tacit approval of sin that God calls an abomination. There are many ways we can convey love in those, to those in sin. We can do that without communicating approval through our polite and silent disapproval. As the people of God, we need to understand the nature of the warfare and spiritual attack taking place right now, taking place against you, against me, against the Lord's church. This is not the time for silent disapproval. This is the time to stand up and let the truth be told, even if it hurts. The church cannot afford to remain silent as the world is quickly and efficiently remaking the culture into the most godless expression you would not want to imagine. The blatantly sinful and purposeful perversions and redefinitions of marriage and family, not to mention the wholesale slaughter of the unborn that large portions of the church are fighting to maintain, is all happening before our very eyes in fully committed and unrepentant sin. Silence is not golden. In fact, it can be deadly and so is our inaction. Silence and inaction will not give to us the reformation we so desperately need. It was not through silence and inaction that we received and that we experienced a reformation over 500 years ago that transformed the church and took it back to its biblical roots. We are living off the blessing of those reformers and of those many generations afterwards, but we are fast running out of those blessings that have been stored up for us. It is time for us to begin the hard work, the painful work, 
of producing our own blessing for the generations to come. In the next verse, Malachi 2, verse 12, God gives a warning to those who knowingly profane the covenant and yet act as though there is no problem. Malachi 2, 12, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The man who deals treacherously, profaning the covenant and treating the worship of God with contempt, being awake and aware of all he is doing, Malachi says, the Lord says, will be cut off from the people along with his descendants. This is what God says, and it is a warning to his church today that we should take seriously. There are shepherds, there are sheep, there are wolves, and there are wolves in sheep's clothing, robes and all, collars and all, ties and all. Today, by approving those things the culture is now demanding we approve, we profane the covenant. Things like the acceptance of transgender weddings and the LBGTQ plus agenda designed to restructure the culture, the church, and the very world we live in. When we approve of those things, or when we passively ignore them while silently disapproving, we profane the covenant. By silently carrying on with business as usual, with no outward regard for what is happening all around us, conducting our worship while living in denial or embracing a lie, all the while preaching our nice, encouraging, man-centered, self-help messages, we profane the covenant And the devil does not care whether we realize it or not. The Lord in his grace is making it more and more impossible for his church to continue to deny reality. Many still believe their programs and facilities and convenient services with comfortable messages that entertain and ooze niceness will quietly and politely lead people to some form of Christianity that will somehow save our world, or at least get us through until the rapture occurs. We'll remain as attractive and unoffensive as possible until God evacuates us out of here seems to be the strategy of many in the church today. And I will tell you, it is not only a very poor strategy, it is a deadly strategy that is contributing to the downfall and decline of our very culture. Those are the lies, our passive inaction, assuring our comfort, convenience, our politeness, our niceness, so the world is not offended by us. Those are the lies the enemy loves for the church to believe and to practice, for they render us absolutely no threat to our enemy. I know all those things I said about those churches that love compromise over confrontation did not sound very nice, but guess what? It is the truth. It is the truth that God demands his prophets to deliver to his people. Truth is what Malachi delivered to Judah. Truth is what every God-ordained pastor, shepherd is charged to deliver today. Fulfilling that charge has nothing to do with who or how many want to hear or embrace that truth. 
It has everything to do with obeying God. May you hear his truth and love his truth as you receive it and apply it to make a difference in your own life and the lives of those around you. May you do this for the glory of his kingdom and for the glory of his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let us be reminded that we have been called by God to this worship today. And be assured that as you have confessed your sin to your God... He gives to you the assurance of your pardon. And he has consecrated you through his word. And now he invites you to come freely, joyfully, with rejoicing and thanksgiving to his table. To eat his bread and drink his wine and be renewed in the covenant of his grace. So that you can be empowered and equipped to go back out. And fulfill the commission he has given to you in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, you are welcome to the table. You are welcome to Christ. And it is my pleasure to welcome the Cerna family as new members, both young and old, to this table today. Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Church, stand and receive your charge. As we ponder the word of God through the prophet and all we have talked about today, it should make us question certain things. As Francis Schaeffer would ask, how should we then live? We should live like Christ lived. We should live to obey the Father's will, not our own. We should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. We should live knowing the journey is marked by pain and suffering. We should live knowing the world will hate us because it hated our Lord. We should live to be caring and compassionate and humble even unto death. We should live with the love and courage to overturn tables when necessary. We should live to send a clear message to all to repent and to trust Jesus. We should live uncompromising lives that make the compromising uncomfortable. We should live to see the nation's disciple for the generations coming after us. We should live to serve the Lord of glory and his church and see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is how we should then live. Let us do that to the glory of our Father. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you.